If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. Fires upfield into the end zone. It is caught. Jelani Woods. Touchdown. He's going to fire upfield. It's broken up. Tipped and up. intercepted by the Colts. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Colts have it. Interception. Two seconds left. And the Colts are going to win. In the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio, let's get the podcast started. Welcome to the official Colts podcast presented by our friends at Win Las Vegas. Latte Lara Overton is here. J.J. Stankovitz is here. Big storylines everywhere that I need to go over, guys. And one of the biggest ones that we have not talked about over coffee or down at the water cooler at all at all is we'll get to the, the Colts' narrow loss, uh, you know, a few days ago. But there was life in Lucas Oil Stadium that was literally the start of life because Lara if you can feed me in on this a little bit we had a child born (laughs) during the 39-38 loss to the Browns at Lucas Oil Stadium I'm coming to you because you are you're the loudspeaker you're over the Mm -hmm. voice of God for the stadium I thought we could have got an update or something from you I didn't know about it until after the game Lara anything from your end when did you hear about this um and who was it I heard about it mid-game. We have, you know, our communication, our channel of everyone in the department. And that's where I saw that there was, you know, an update that someone had given birth in the stadium. And then after the game, there was a reporter from Lafayette that said it's actually the person who gave birth is a cousin of Brown's offensive lineman, Dewand Jones, who is a Ben Davis product. Oh, wow, okay. Makes sense. So, yeah, uh, I, that's per, per sources. So, I, you know. Congratulations. This is the first I've heard that a baby that? was born right there. I mean, what do you name this kid if you're, obviously, you have a Browns connection? Also, what are our, like, here's the thing. We can't pull, like, our medical team off the field. Like, do we have EMTs that are I'm just, sure like, roaming are. the stadium? I'm sure right? for is fans that? there are. I, that, as someone who, like, hasn't attended a football game as a fan right, in, in a long like, time. 15 years, sure. I'm, I'm guessing there are. And if it push games a show, I'm sure both both teams, medical staff, would go over somebody that's actually giving birth and no one around can help. I mean, if that was the case, I'm sure they'd be like, hey, T.O., let's give birth and then we'll come back for the second and four. Yeah, now that would be right? a fun announcement for me to give that's to the stadium. Now, There's a timeout on the field. A fan is giving birth in yeah. section 122, row 13. We have a yeah. new attendance today. Uh, <laughs> Bob Parento's going over. You're going to need a ticket for that one, you know? Oh, I, I, um, do you guys remember during the Super Bowl that Jason Kelsey's wife Kylie was pretty far along and she traveled her OBGYN to the Super Bowl in case she went into labor yeah that was great. Well, we did find some good news last Sunday at, at Lucas Oil Stadium. It was a great, also, congratulations you know, on the birth of your yeah, yeah really. Little no, if you're asking what do you name the kid, I mean okay. Miles or Garrett. <laughs> well, it well, if I guess if you're coming from a Browns perspective, I was going to say Lucas. It is. I, I mean, was going to easy Lucas penalty. Oh, Lucas, oh, not mm. bad. Yeah. Or they love your job and they're the, the job that you do. And they say, hey, what's the kid's name upstairs? JJ. Yeah, that would be insane that would behavior. Be. I'd love it. I would rattle you on every show that you got a baby <laughs> named after you. Because, But, Lara, that was, uh, that was uh, I, I want to say, a fun one. And what I wanted to bring up with Lara specifically today is if we could, you and I, somehow, some way, we know a lot of people in this building, get her hot mic from the last couple of minutes of that football game. Because what she says on the air, what she's talking with Matt Taylor and Rick Venturi, is completely different than when the microphone is off. And Lara, I just I, I know what your answer is going to be. I know you talked about the raucous crowd and the great environment and everything. Yeah. But you, you had to be spitting mad watching that develop in front of you. 
it's one of those things where you you always are kind of straddling that level between your instinct being a fan, legitimately a fan, and you have that passion and you're so invested in the outcome. But then you also have to be professional and find ways to coherently and knowledgeably communicate what you're seeing and why and what's unfolding in front of you. So it's that's always that balance. And it's something that I struggle with in certain situations like last Sunday more than others. But yeah, it was one of those where I'm like, just biting my tongue. The great thing is, Matt Taylor rises to the occasion in those circumstances. And he so well illustrates exactly what's unfolding with no sort of, you know, conjecture or opinion. He is so good about just stating exactly what has happened on the field, painting a perfect picture. So then I just kind of get to lay out and that gives me time to kind of process a little bit and, you know, bite my tongue initially (laughs) and then gather based on what I'll try to do is look at what's happening on the field. Look at the reactions of the guys on the sideline. And that's exactly what I did. My eyes went to Coach Steichen because you think about Shane, so even, so level, so cool-headed. Spitting right? Spitting yeah. Matt in the ear of the down judge right there. And so that's what I try to relay. Rather than giving necessarily what I might think in a certain situation, I'm more so trying to relay. Here's what I'm seeing being in the vantage point of being down on the field because then I think it really does help those who are listening to be able to have the full context of, okay, here's exactly what happened, but here are all the other things, the ancillary events going on. What's the reaction on the sideline? What's the response from the defense? These various things to hopefully at least provide a little bit greater perspective, but without you know providing any sort of um, subjectivity. I to got it, it right? but we do want the NC-17 version no, one day no, of no. Lara Overton. JJ, and I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing <laughs> this on trouble, you. Don't get in trouble, JJ. Because we have the, no, she's perfectly great, and I'm just laughing because the way that the Colts ended up losing. And this is one lady that is invested in this team. But, J.J., none of us said it. You, J.J. Stankovitz, Larry Overton, myself, Jeffrey Gorman have not said this. But the word around the league is the officiating was horse. Sources say. Sources say. Okay. Look, there were a the, lot of complaints. I'm sorry so, to go there, but the that's not no, us saying it. Here's, here's Pat the thing. McAfee said it. There were national here's guys Here's what, what I struggled to get over is sitting down – digesting the game, watching the Sunday night game. And the Dolphins wide receiver, Cedric Wilson, there's a player, the ball's thrown to him, and his helmet gets yanked like that. He can't see the ball because the, the Eagles Incomplete. defender grabbed saw, his face mask yeah, the and play. yanked it, and there was no flag. And it's like, officiating is, is subjective. It is difficult. It is really hard. It is such a hard thing to do you're never going to be 100% right because it's subjective and it's humans doing it. Having said that, when games come down to officiating, you can take it kind of two ways. The first way is you, you kind of moan about it, you complain about it, you, you can acknowledge that those calls impacted the game significantly. The way that I think the Colts after kind of getting getting through that, are approaching it is, well, we should have made some other plays so it didn't come down to it. That's what I've heard consistently from players and coaches. That does not mean they are not pissed off about it. That does not mean they are not frustrated. They're taking the high it. road. Mm. You got to take the high road. You, you mean you have to because a, you you don't want to get fined no, for I criticizing know, the know. officials, and b, if you let it linger 
then all of a sudden now that officiating decision is impacting potentially more than just one game. That 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 I'm sorry. But it but sucks. Lara, I'm sorry. But that pass interference call in the corner of the end zone, what it did and what it brought back to life for a ball that was uncatchable to begin with happened in the day and age of 2023. And I get you. I hear what you're saying. It's a human element on it. But in the crux of the game and down at crunch time, you've got a direct line to New York, a direct line. And we're watching this play and it's an uncatchable ball and the illegal contact. Yeah, Tiki tack possibly. Did he break the plane when he scored? I've got questions on the whole thing. I'm going to back up even more as I'm going to go to the roughing the passer call on DeForest Mm -hmm. Buckner. To, like, that was another one, even prior to the call on Daryl Baker Jr. You know, like, that was another one that I thought was questionable at best, the, you know? The other, the other the, part of it, the, the Colts had opportunities to get off the field on defense on that drive. The third and ten, that kind of whole shot that Walker hit, where if he holds onto that ball a split second longer, DeForest Buckner over. is pile-driving yeah, him into the yeah, ground. Yeah. It's, it's probably game over. Yeah, yeah. And he, he made a great throw. Coverage probably needed to be better on that play. If you don't allow that pass to be completed, you're not even in a position where you're, you're in this spot. You know, if you, you don't have three fumbles and there are two fumbles prior to that and an interception, uh, if you turn a red zone possession, you know, that ball that Gardner had to Pittman uh, where he kind of was a little bit behind him and Pitt kind of juggled it didn't wind up catching it. If he catches that, if that that's passes another, on yeah. target, that's probably a touchdown. It is, yeah. And you're probably talking about this is a different outcome. If, you know, the, the uh, fumble in the end zone that Gardner had where Shane said after the game, I, I probably got too aggressive, called a double move to Alec Pierce. Alec had his guy. He beat Martin Emerson, Emerson on that play, but it was too long to develop, and Miles Garrett came around oh. and knocked the ball out, recovered in the end zone. You can always go back to different things in the game and say that swung it, that swung it. The officiating, you can include in that, but there are things that were under the Colts' control that could have swung the game to the officiating not being... Because the other thing that's frustrating about this game is for the majority of this game, the Colts were the better team on the field. Mm -hmm. You take out the Browns' first drive and their last drive. Cleveland averaged three point... I think it was four yards per carry on their possessions in between those two drives. They couldn't move the ball. If the Colts don't turn the ball over, if they just... Keep doing what they're doing on offense, and you have, you have half of the turnovers you had. You win that game by well, 10 points. Collectively, the Colts had the better players. It was seriously a one-man victory for Cleveland with yeah. Miles Garrett. Which is also like, when you take a step back, you're like, I can't. Miles Garrett, on a defense that gave up 38 points, he probably won them the game. Sure. Despite the, de- the rest of that defense giving up 38 points. No question. I mean, the fact that you scored 38 points, you had 456 yards of offense on a defense that has been historically good, has only allowed an average of 200 yards in the first mm-hmm. five games of the season. I mean, I think that says a lot about the promise and what you can build upon. I know no moral victories, no silver lining, but that was something that Shane and I talked about, you know, on Monday with like you have, there's a lot of good there to build off of, especially when you're starting to see Jonathan Taylor return to that explosiveness, that breakaway type of speed that you've expected from him and how exciting it is to see what Shane is doing with him, both in the run game and the pass game. I want to get something out here just about that. So coming out of the game, I think you could look at you could look at Shane Steich in two ways. The glass half empty way is called that tight end screen that lost six yards, called for the the double move in the end zone. Um, you know that that wound up costing the Colts some points. You could look at it that way. To me, 
Coaching decisions are always... Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, at the height of their powers, were getting criticized for coaching decisions. That is something that's always going to happen. And that's okay. That, that comes with the profession. To me, what I'm looking at with Shane Steichen coming out of this game, he put his players in the best positions to make plays against, like you said, Lara, a defense that was allowing 200 yards per game. 3.8 yards per play. That's, those are historic paces that this Browns defense was on. 15.4 points per game. Big the Colts... The Colts went down and they scored. I mean, they had, what, three or four touchdown drives of 75 yards against this defense, this Browns defense. Shane Steichen found ways to defeat a defense that no one else could beat all season long. And to me, what he's doing, finding those solutions, saying they're going to play a lot of man, we're going to do a lot of stuff with stacks, we're going to do a ton of motion, we're going to get our guys in the best position to make plays with a backup quarterback in there, in Gardner Minshew. And yeah, and throwing up 38 points. And that, that to me, that just encapsulates why I'm so excited about Shane Steichen. The, the coaching decisions, sure, those are going to happen. That's fine. It's the putting his players in positions to make plays against a defense as good as that. I feel really good about it. Let's talk this team offensively and defensively. Here's one of the, the stats that is mind-blowing. The most points ever given up, uh, it, excuse me, the most points ever scored for a Colts loss. Their 38 mm. points are the most ever scored in the history of this franchise to see stuff that happens and it hasn't happened before in over 50 years. Incredible. So they're putting up 38 points and losing first time, most points ever. The reason I'm saying that is there is something very good to take from this. Just like JJ said, this offense, what they can do with some of the top offenses and uh, defenses rather in the league, scoring the 38 points like they did. But on the flip side of that, and I want you to get in defensively, just giving up way too many points as far as it goes. I know what P.J. Walker did, what you're talking about, but boy, oh boy, the time was right on that last drive when he had to have it and he had those completions. So my point is, Lara, find the good in that for mm-hmm. me, if you will. 38 points, we can score offensively on this, but we're giving up a ton of points defensively. Well, here's the good in that is you're not exactly facing a ton of imposing offenses in this stretch moving forward. When you look at, you have the New Orleans Saints coming in with Derek Carr. Um, who has you know battled through injuries in the early part of the season? Sure, he's got you know Alvin Kamara and you know a couple of other weapons, but you know not this isn't a very potent yeah. you know offensive system. Um, Derek Carr has proved to still be a good, really good veteran quarterback. When you saw the win that they're just coming off of with, or just, sorry, the loss. Excuse me, the loss to Jacksonville. He did play well though in that second half. They are coming in with additional rest with the Thursday night game. I did think that there were some times in that game where you saw some very vintage Derek Carr like things, but I think that this is a defense that can really impact uh, what they're going to try to do offensively. You have the loss of Grover Stewart. That's going to be difficult to account for and you know find who is going to step up in that situation. I thought last week was a real illustration of what you will miss in these six weeks without Grover Stewart. But, okay, Saints... A very beatable team. You know, this is uh, certainly I, I like the Colts defense up against the Saints offense in that situation. Carolina, again, still trying to figure out, you know, their identity as an offense with Bryce Young and what they're doing over there. Frank Reich hands over play calling duties to their offensive coordinator. So that's again, they are in a situation where they have not found a rhythm to the season offensively. And then you go over to Frankfurt, Germany, and you're going to play the New England Patriots, who finally looked like, you know, they have they big win. They're coming off a huge win, uh, looked like a team that they can be, but they have really, you know, ridden the wave highs and lows over the course of this season. Mac Jones has been very inconsistent. The Patriots, you know, 
their strength is their defense. So you're looking at a lot of factors leading into the bye week where you have very winnable games for your defense. And I think that they'll be heavily fueled by these last two losses. Neither of these games, when you look at Jacksonville and you look at Cleveland, have they played to full potential. And I think this is the point in the season where you do start to find that and this defense will rise to the occasion with the situations, those three that you have upcoming leading into the bye so week. The thing that kind of that, that I was looking at is the Colts are sixth in points per game on offense this year. So their peers around them are the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Lions, the Jaguars, and the Ravens. All those teams are averaging between 24 and 26 points and per game. And all are at the top of the, the... All those teams are Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, sure. Then you look at on defense, the Colts are allowing 27.3 points per game. That's 30th in the NFL. Their peers there, the Bears, the Dolphins, the Cardinals, the Chargers, and the Patriots. All those teams, except for the Dolphins, are teams that are, you're probably talking about in contention for the number one overall pick. So what, what's going on here? I think the, some context on the defense. The Colts have allowed, they, they have had the sixth most sudden change possessions on defense that have started in opposition territory. So, or sorry, this, they've had six of those. That is the second most in the NFL behind the Raiders. So you're having six possessions start in opposing territory. Opponents have scored on five of those. Two touchdowns, three field goals. That is a challenging thing for a defense to steal themselves in those spots. And the Jaguars had both those touchdowns, by the way, Travis Etienne taking it to the house um, in week one and week six. Outside of that, I think this defense is pretty good at not allowing long drives and not allowing explosive plays. Cleveland had the one explosive play, the Jerome Ford touchdown. After that, the run defense was good. Like, mm-hmm. the run defense was good. Uh, Jerome Ford had that play, and I think he gained five yards on 10 carries the rest of the game. Um, you know, and then the, the last possession of the game, definitely, you know, this defense is probably going to be disappointed by that, that they weren't able to get off the field. They allowed Cleveland to get 67 yards of offense before those penalties started to hit. Um, but I think, like, overall, I feel okay about this defense. I don't think they're going to finish 30th in points allowed. But it is going to take the offense cleaning up the, the turnover issues to help them out. Having said that, the offense being sixth in points per game. Pretty good. Can we just talk about that for yeah. a second? I mean, that's Steichen up there with the great offensive minds in the NFL. This really. is, and that's with very limited time with Anthony Richardson. Yes. Mm-hmm. You, you've had four starts with Anthony Richardson. He's, and only three games with Jonathan Taylor. And only three games with Jonathan Taylor. And Gardner Minshew is putting up what he did. Uh, if, if you just hang on to the football, if you protect the ball, which is something the Colts are going to, they already drill it. They already drill that in practice. It's now a, a big emphasis for Gardner Minshew back there. You just hang on to the ball. This offense has some firepower to it. You're getting explosive plays. And to me, that is, that is really encouraging going forward where, like Larry said, you're playing some offenses that you hope would be more beatable, for lack of a better word, on defense. But if this offense is humming, I mean, you're, you're right up there, and you could start rattling some wins together here, and all of a sudden you look up, going to, you know, coming back on that plane from Germany, and you could be sitting with a pretty decent record, pretty, pretty decent playoff just shot. Like with a later hose and a stein. Yeah, I know, just like you said, though, really. <laughs> let's, I want to be, you know, a disappointing loss that happened, you know, in the fashion that it did. But these, you know, the next stretch of games, just like Lara talked about, you know, this team is 
believe it or not, as, as we said, we're in the playoff picture of this thing. I mean, you have to get put together, stack some wins back to back to back. We've seen on paper what this Colts schedule looks like as far as the opponents that they're going to be playing and, and, and the cream of the crop in the NFL. It's not there. So they do have a shot. They do have a shot with Gardner Minshew. But playoff picture-wise, you have to stack them up one at a time. This team is not out of that, even with what they drop in two to Jacksonville like they did, but holding you know uh, advantages over the Texans and the, and the Tennessee Titans. In a simple, arithmetic manner, J.J., what's, what's it going to take? So the Colts are 3-4 and four right now. They sit 11th in the AFC standings, but you're talking about it. You're one game out of a wild card spot, and it's way too early to even sure, like, dive into but, any of that. But when you start looking at it, you've got the Chiefs at 6-1, and one, then the Dolphins, Ravens, Jaguars leading their divisions at five and two. From there, now you're looking at wild cards. Cleveland's up there, four and two. Uh, Pittsburgh is also four and two. Buffalo is four and three. I can't figure out Buffalo. <laughs> Who can? I have no idea what they're. Uh, the, I can't figure. I. I. I you, they're the team that you're like. Yeah, they got to be there in the end. Like you, you got to. I do. I think they'll find a yeah, way. Yes. I, you would just figure that'll be the case with them. I'm not. Really, I'm they're probably the, not. I'm probably not lumping them in. They're the Niners of the AFC. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, right, yeah, no, similar. I mean, couple of couple of drops. Losses, I know yeah. two losses in a row. Um, so now you're starting to think about like what what could the Colts' fastball be in this playoff race? And to me, they haven't scored under 20 points in a game all year. Yeah, they're the last team in the NFL to do that. And last year, by the way, the Colts scored 20 or more points in six games. They've already topped that this year. And that offense won't go, is not going to slow down. I mean, that, I don't think they will. I, I mean, I, even with Gardner behind, and we don't, we don't know what's going to have to happen with Anthony Richardson well, next year in his offense. But Valera, it's exciting. Just like he said, this offense will score points. I don't care if offensive points in the NFL is a must, and anybody can win when they're putting up 30 points. I, I want to factor into this as well the rotation that you've had on the offensive line. You had Bernard Ryman out for a game in concussion protocol. Blake Freeland steps up at that spot, and then you lose Brayden Smith for consecutive games, and Blake Freeland. The rookie has to swing over to that side. Oh, so God. I also think when you look at, you know, what your offensive line has been able to do and you look at, you know, the production that you have gotten from that group, certainly exponential from where you left off in the 2022 season. I mean, that's an incredible testament to Tony Sperano and what he's done with that unit. So you look at the production offensively and you take into the factors that this offensive line hasn't really been at full strength for what? the last three to four weeks mm-hmm. when you're looking at the injury situation. So well, with Ryan Kelly that, in there since week three. Right, right, exactly. That's true. So now you are trying to figure out some continuity up there. That offensive line working with Gardner Minshew, I do think that this is a point where teams start to figure it out. That late October, that month of November is critical. That's where you start to see the divide. That's where you create separation in the NFL. And the teams that are going to be vying for playoff spots are going to position, position themselves going in to December. Never say never. Hey, let's make I mean, a run. Here's I'll, I'm going to start talking playoffs early for this team. People are going to be rolling, well, rolling and, their eyes at me. But you, man, you can, I'm you telling can, you. But like when when you think about if the Colts can lean on their offense, yeah. like once you get kind of past, I think Buffalo in this playoff race. Now you're talking about teams that might have flaws that might not be top five in anything in the league. But the Colts can lean on their offense. You look at okay, the Steelers, the Browns, the Jets. Those are teams that can probably lean on their defense based on what we know about them so far. Cincinnati can probably lean on their offense as the season goes on. Joe Burrow's calf gets better. Uh, Houston looks like a team that, I don't know if you lean on your offense or defense, but I think they're going to be competitive sure. through the end. Um, where does it kind of go? But the Colts, what I, the point I'm trying to make is the Colts, I think, have something they can lean on. 
they have an offense, and the offensive line is where it starts, Lara, that you can lean on a really good offensive line that can sustain guys being in and out. You can run the ball. Gardner Minshew can keep you competitive in games and give you a chance to win. I mean, I don't mean to be that, you know, eliminate games guy, but you take out the Jaguars losses, the Colts' two losses have come in overtime and by one point on the last play of the game, basically. Been in this it, team's yeah. going to be in it in every game. For whatever reason, the Jaguars, tough matchup. You're done playing them in the regular season. So what you evidence still do we have? Tennessee and Houston. What evidence, right. What evidence do we have that the Colts won't be in every game? Also, one note on, just to kind of double down and go back to Blake Freeland really quickly. One of the things that he told me in preseason He'd never been to an NFL game until he played in his first. Wow. Yeah, and had to go NFL up against game. Aaron Donald. Yeah. Right? How crazy <laughs> is that? That's his introduction. Like that's growing up in Utah, went to BYU. I was like, what's the biggest game you ever went to? And he said, well, when he was uh, going through the recruiting process, he went to a BYU-Utah game. Big one, that yeah. was the biggest game that he'd attended. So you think about going from that, that's the, you know, and that wasn't even playing. That was just, you know, being a fan, experiencing that, and then going through your college career, but then your introduction to the NFL is, you know, going in, starting on offensive line. That's crazy. Yeah, and not just starting on offensive line. He's got Aaron Donald, Miles Garrett yeah. in recent weeks. Uh, you know, Josh Allen is no slouch mm-hmm. over there in Jacksonville. Uh, that's pretty tough. Could you, should you put, if you're, if you're deep in your own end, in your own end, and you got Garrett on the outside. Should you? I mean, I'm being serious. Should you put four people on him? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, yes. not three. I'm, I'm, I'm literally saying, like, should we have four? You have to people build a wall. That, yes, in that area because of the wrecky, the I wreckage would, I would that like he creates. Know, I would like to know, like, but then he also just leaps over people. Oh, so yeah, I, don't I mean, know, like, we saw that was, boxer, we were banging yeah. on that thing, saying, "Why is 95 on? The, you know, why is 95 there? Always oh, looking at, and he's standing there. Then yeah. he's going down. Then he came up a little bit, and there's like nothing but a hole right there by Luke Rhodes. And I'm like, oh, don't tell me this. Don't tell me we're going to see something here. And if it was, give me a feather touch on the back yep. of the jersey for Luke penalty. Rhodes, and that penalty yeah. flag goes right. up. Well, hopefully the penalty well, flag goes yeah, up. True. But. Um, the yeah, I mean th- that dude. That dude's a defensive a player of the year. Yeah, front runner for me after watching him play. My goodness, like he is just and and the way that they use him and the way that they line him up all over the place is. <sighs> I like you can you can say all right here's our protection plan for Miles Garrett. All of a sudden he's he's head up over the center doing his cr- like basketball crossover move. And you're just like, "Well, what are we supposed to do with this?" Oh my god. It's it's, it's insane how Someone I talked to last week, very credible source told me Miles Garrett is the best football player I have ever seen. Like just right? just watch him. Watch wait until you see him. Best football player I have ever seen. And I was like, "Okay, sure. Yeah, that's nice." And then I was like, "Okay, you mm-hmm. that was no exaggeration." We're no, we're not getting anything absurd. Much. Like Miles Garrett on this. I loved that Zaire Franklin described him as a monster. Monster. Yeah, 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 yeah. From Space Jam. Yeah, he's like a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That this was earlier in the week. This was not after the game. But oh. it's like, like okay, I see. At Lara Overton, follow her on Twitter X at JJ Stankovitz and also Colts.com. You know, you got to get ready for this Saints game. These two will have you covered. I mean, almost inside the huddle. And don't forget, Inside Football with Rick Venturi will be out on Wednesday, giving you the blueprints for the Colts to beat those Saints in Week Eight. Another episode of the official Colts podcast. Get a lands Thursday with Matt Taylor, Casey Brooks, Casey Brooks. Casey Brooks, Casey Valier, Billy Brooks, and a, t- a TBD player up uh, that will be announced soon. So don't forget to miss. Don't forget 
get to not miss that one on Thursday. Look ahead to Sunday's game on all those. But again, Colts.com and follow these two on Twitter by the way, and X. And uh, by the way, real quick, yeah. I love this. The instant reaction on Sunday nights. That's JJ right here and Bill Brooks are going to go over what happened, recapping the Colts and the Saints game. It happens week in and week out. Good job on that. So I, I go on the radio every week mm-hmm. on the, the Colts pregame huddle. Sure you do. And uh, Jeffrey this week introduces me on there, going on with Jam V, Joe Wrights, Bill Brooks, as what, a, a, a childhood prodigy? You, what well, you told me, piano. the information that piano you told prodigy, me, I filled is. into our audience yeah. to let them know that you play, you played piano for like first through sixth grade, yeah. and we're pretty stinking good. Now, no. I did some research, yeah. too. I got uh-huh. Google as well, don't forget. And they, I mean, you were pretty stinking good, but you said, I'm not doing that. I'm devoting my life to the professional game of, of football. Yeah. But you, you then you, you took some liberties with that uh, information, and uh, I, I got Joe Wright's calling me Beethoven <laughs> on the radio. He's a talented. Like th- cat. this is this is that you know like that little like domino meme where it's like the little domino and the big domino. It's like the little domino is me missing the Super Bowl as a kid to go to a piano recital, and the big domino is a former Colts offensive lineman calling me little Beethoven on the radio. Uh, it's funny, because Joe was <laughs> Joe stayed and brought a few of his kids, his whole yeah. gaggle of children. Yep. He had like half of them there, and uh, they were a couple rows um, behind our bench, and I got to see him, and I was like, hey, you feel like suiting up? I feel like we might need a few extras yeah. on 95. And no he's like, kid. not against that guy. Yeah. Was- yeah, could we, could we have a rule that, like, if you got Miles Garrett out on the field, you can't have 12 guys on the field? No, you can. Hey. Because he's, he's basically like four. But it has to be an offensive player. No, it has to be a defensive player that you have your defense. Ooh, okay. I like this now, All right. right? Now, who would you do to help? Okay, uh, okay. Your For, offense against Miles Garrett and the Browns defense, I'm but gonna, you can take a 12th yeah. and add an extra man, but it has to be an, a, a defensive player. Okay, I'm going to give you an off-the-wall one. Give me Kenny Moore the second, a guy who is not afraid to stick his nose in no, on anyone. Not. I know Miles Garrett's got some size on him, but you could you could run Kenny Kenny <laughs> like with his this. speed and his instincts. I I would take him. All you're trying to do is chip him. That's you're not it. trying to block him. You're trying to chip him. Kenny just going like a missile into him. Who's yeah. the defensive player to block Miles Garrett? Uh, DeForest Buckner. Yeah, yeah. Bad. I mean, I want like, I like the heavyweight matchup. battle. Like, yeah, I want like outside the tackle. I want like, like Muhammad Ali up there. Like, this is what I want. Yes, that's what I'm going for. Oh, I love right that. Where are you taking Jeffrey? Uh boy, oh boy. I was thinking about like I was thinking. I'd probably put like Zaire in there or Shaq or, or like EJ that. Speed, who's by the way the hit late in the game. I mean, it was incredible, but EJ Speed's another monster in the he making is. right there. But it's incredible. But I do have some fun facts about this Saints team and what, what we're we doing got? up. Um, Cajun Creole cooking. Okay, and this guy right here, another fun fact that we didn't know about. We know you like to dabble in the kitchen. You do have some Creole in your background no, as I far don't. as cooking goes <laughs> and Cajun goes. So I do want this is a true story. He's, he's so humble, too. I want to tell me what the difference is between follow me here, a gumbo and an etouffee. And have you also had a, ever had a beignet? And when you make your beignets, how do you make them? Uh, I a lot don't know, of questions. I don't know what the difference between a gumbo and an etouffee is. You don't? I've had gumbo. It's very good. I think etouffee is more of like a cream. Like, yeah, I think there's more on. of a... That's a, that's our cook right, right Isn't there, there a yeah. heavier cream yeah, to an etouffee? I believe I gumbo is more brothy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great call. Etouffee yeah. versus gumbo. I thought of you. Yeah. And okay. uh, what's the main ingredient of beignets? Um, 
I mean, what's the most flour? How about this? What's the most important ingredient? The powdered sugar. The oil to fry it. Yeah, I don't like them. I don't. I don't eat them. You've been in New Orleans. Yeah. Okay. And we know about your background in the kitchen. A beignet is just a bougie donut. It is. It's an elephant ear at the at the state fair. But God, those things are great. But they put. Have you been to? Have you? Have you? People from New Orleans are going to kill us. By the way, why? It's the best food. You just compared a beignet to an elephant ear. Well, it is. I mean, I'm just saying it's fried. It's fried dough. But they 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 dial it up in New Orleans, and I love New Orleans, and I'm going to stuff my face with a couple I'm down there, but I just wanted to ask a few Cajun yeah. questions because I know mm-hmm. you like to dabble in the kitchen yeah. a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I'm not, not, a, not, a, not a big Cajun cook. All right. Uh, the Neville Brothers, do you like them? The Neville Brothers. Yeah. They're a New Orleans outfit, right? Uh, I've, Aaron Neville? Look at this face. I know this See, <laughs> that guy? What? Yeah. You never heard that song? No. Look at this I know what you're talking about. See? Yeah, no, yeah. Cal- well, we well, get R&B. out a little bit or go in New Orleans and ask the, about Aaron the only, Neville. The only time I've ever been to New Orleans, uh, Bears played the Saints in 2017, and it was right after Fats Domino died. And the Saints took the field to Fats Domino singing when the Saints go marching in. That was oh, pretty cool. Nice, Cut nice. all the lights. That was pretty cool. If you do want Cajun food in Indianapolis, it's Yats. That's the go-to yats, spot. Yeah, yeah you got Have you had Yats? Hey, I have not. Oh, yeah. That's spot. Go get not it. And yats. by the way, I want to thank you for putting up with me sometimes because I put you in a position. Thank you, Colin, behind the camera for and, laughing. And Colin, I, I do. But I, I mean, I put you in positions like this, but I, 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 I am going to continue this because I like putting you in positions. Yeah. You like putting me in alligator-infested yes, waters as childhood uh, piano prodigy and a Cajun cook. And a kitchen and a restaurant in Louisiana. Yeah, good luck. No pressure there. All right. Me and Emerald. Oh. Bam! Lara Overton, JJ Stankovic, Colts.com for all the latest information. At Lara Overton on Twitter X, at JJ Stankovic. I am Jeffrey Gorman. Colin, thanks for your help behind the camera today. We've got to get back on track, and we did talk about things that I know a few people were rolling their eyes at. Let's just get one. We're talking playoffs and, and stuff for this team, but we do have a spark, and that spark we've proven is Shane Steichen and this offense, and watch what they can do against a team that is meddling and treading water like the Saints. It just takes one and the streak starts. So hang in there, Colts fan. For J.J. and Lara, I'm Jeffrey Gorman. This is the official, excuse me, the official Colts podcast. I did that right, did I not? Got it. Not the Colts official podcast. No, this is the official Colts podcast. We're brought to you by our friends at Win Vegas. We will see you on the air next week.